Welcome back, folks. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred, and we got a great show planned for you here today after a really action-packed divisional round last week. We take a look back at what all happened. We are going to peer forward ahead into the conference championship matchups here and make our Super Bowl predictions. And then also, we're going to, at the end, we're going to continue our top five series where we're going to pick our top five wide receivers of 2021 and our top five tight ends of 2021 as well. And then also, we're going to lead right back off into it here with uh, our breaking news segment. There's been a ton of stuff coming out in terms of the GM and head coach searches, so I wanted to make sure we mentioned it and kind of what it means and how it all shook out. So without further ado, here let's jump right into that right away. So this week we're going to start bringing back our breaking news uh, section of the podcast just because there's been a lot of really big time stuff coming down off the dock and I expect a lot more to be coming in the, the weeks ahead. So I want to make sure that we can kind of touch on some of this stuff. And the biggest news that came out this past week was that Sean Payton was stepping down as the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. And Sean Payton has been a, a key piece of this uh, Saints front office. He's won a Super Bowl. He's been the coach there for 16 years. And him stepping down kind of sends shockwaves through the NFC South there because we're not really sure what's going to happen with Tom Brady. Uh, you, you got some turmoil here at the Saints now as well. The the Falcons, while overachieving in my opinion, still aren't quite there to be competitive. And the Carolina Panthers were very tumultuous last season as well too. So it's 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 a very curious situation in the NFC South there. And I'm not exactly sure what this means for Sean Payton. They didn't really come out and say he retired. So him stepping down makes it seem like, is he going to be throwing his name in for future other future coaching opportunities here? Uh, it remains to be seen. Uh, does he take a year off and then throw his hat back in the ring? Was he just sick of what was going on with the Saints? Was the salary cap issue limiting the team in the most recent years here and Drew Brees leaving? Was was this a big toll on him? A lot of this stuff that's been going on behind the scenes for them? I'm not exactly sure, and I'm, I'm hoping that we can get some answers here. But just hats off, uh, big respect for a guy that, you know, coaching 16 years in the NFL is, isn't really heard of much anymore. You don't really make it past, you know, at best five, six years. So to last 16 in today's environment is is huge. It's big time. So congrats to Sean Payton on his uh, Saints tenure, and hopefully we can get some bigger news with him down the road here. But uh, as we're recording this on uh, Wednesday morning, Joe Sheen also was uh, hired as the or Shane Sheen, something like that. Uh, I'm not exactly sure the the correct pronunciation there, but he was a he was a front office official for the Buffalo Bills. He's getting hired as the GM for the New York Giants, and him coming over, I think, spells that uh, Brian Dabble has been. Uh, pegged as the number one candidate for that New York Giants job, which is really big time. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see what, what goes there because I didn't find that as a very attractive job. So to hire the first GM and really get a guy like Brian Dabble to come in there and, and get your team headed in the right direction is is really great news if you're a New York Giants fan, in my opinion. That, that's a really plus move on their part. So I'll be really interested to see how that coaching search shake, search shakes out as uh, as they move forward, having that big market there in New York. But also, there was another hire made over the week, and it's going to be the GM for the Chicago Bears. It's going to end up being Ryan Poles. Uh, he, I believe he was like a head scout for the Kansas City Chiefs in their personnel department. He comes over to the uh, Chicago Bears to basically try to resurrect this franchise as well too. Uh, they're kind of set back, and I was kind of surprised to see them fill their position before like the Minnesota Vikings or the Las Vegas Raiders, 
But really, uh, Snake and this guy is a, is a really good get from the, the Kansas City Chiefs as you've been able to see what they've been able to do with their their pro scouts and who they've been able to bring in to support Patrick Mahomes and really help with the scouting on the rookie side of things as well, drafting players. So getting him in Chicago is, is big time. And it sounds like uh, Dan Quinn is also going to be a top candidate. He's, he's getting pegged to be the, the next head coach of the Chicago Bears, which I'm not the biggest Dan Quinn fan. Uh, I didn't really like him. He had one really good year in Atlanta, and then after that, it kind of tanked out. He wasn't really able to build defenses like he'd been in charge of with the Sa- uh, Seattle Seahawks, so I'm not exactly sure what all the hype is around him. I know he's really well-respected by players, it sounds like, and he's a really big-time motivator, so it'll be curious to see if he can kind of help lead the charge there, but it's going to be a really key piece to see who's going to be that OC to really help Justin Fields come along if Dan Quinn does get the job. Uh, somebody on Twitter had mentioned it that it sounds like Joe Brady might be one of his favorite hires. And honestly, if they can get that pairing together, I think that's big time because I think Joe Brady was given the short straw in Carolina. So that's another big piece of this that happened that shook down with the the breaking news over the week. The next big piece of information that came out just this morning as well, too, was that the Minnesota Vikings hired a GM candidate. And I apologize if I, if I butcher this name. I was not familiar with this gentleman before just now. It's going to be Queasy Adolfo Mensa for the GM job in Minnesota. And he previously was an assistant GM underneath Andrew Barry in Cleveland. And if uh, we remember back, Andrew Barry was a big analytics guy that came into Cleveland. But it sounds like this guy has the analytics background from working with Andrew Barry, but also has the background of having his hands all over some of the, the personnel decisions they were making, bringing in uh, veteran guys and drafting players. So he's kind of gotten experiences in, in, in all different parts of the front office. But based on what uh, Cleveland was kind of been able to to build out there outside of possibly Baker Mayfield is should make Minnesota Vikings fans extremely, extremely happy with what they're going to do or what he's going to be able to do with this front office. Uh, hopefully be able to build out this offensive line uh, as it's pretty good and kind of finish that off and really build out this defense because I've been really impressed with what they put together in Cleveland there with a lot of the draft picks they made, made like Jeremiah Wusakormoa. And then you get guys like Denzel Ward and a couple of the other guys there in the secondary that are, have been really, really good for them. So I'm excited to see what he can do. And if you're a Minnesota Vikings fan, it's it's signaling great things. Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I haven't heard a lot of things, haven't seen a lot of things out there in the news recently about what their, their coaching search looks like. It kind of made it seem like that they were putting all eyes on this GM search. And now that they're going to they're gonna start going full force into this coaching thing as well. But the last piece of uh, information that came out this morning that I wanted to make sure I touched on was going to be that the Jacksonville Jaguars finally hired a new coach as well, too. And uh, Byron Lefwich, he's coming home to Jacksonville to be the head coach of the Jaguars. And honestly, uh, I know it's kind of cliche to say that they, they needed this, this, this leadership head figure of, the, of their franchise just because of all the turmoil. But I was really hoping that they were going to get Jim Caldwell or Doug Peterson in there. I think that it could have been really, really good as... They were able to build some really good offenses and work with some really good quarterbacks in their previous stops like Matthew Stafford and and Peyton Manning for Caldwell. And then for Doug Peterson, he really got the best out of Carson Wentz when he was there. And he he also was there in uh, Kansas City for some of them great early Andy Reid years. So nonetheless, they go with Byron Lefwich. Uh, Lefwich has a pretty decent track record as well. He was in Arizona with Arians when he was really building that place up over there with Carson Palmer. And then he came over with them to Tampa Bay here as well to work with Tom Brady. So that's some really valuable 
uh, or ex- excuse me, invaluable uh, experience running an offense and being around some of these great quarterbacks because we know Byron Leftwich didn't exactly live up to his first round grade that he was selected with in Jacksonville. But nonetheless, he gets to come home and he gets to take a chance at really putting together this offense and really trying to repair Trevor Lawrence's pro career because he's had a really rocky start to start with here. So I don't exactly know how much faith I'm going to have in him being able to build this out. I'd really like to see what he's going to bring as a DC to the other side of the roster. If he can really snag a veteran DC that's had experience at the at the pro level here of really putting together solid defenses, then then I'll be able to buy in a little bit more and having his connections from his previous uh, tenure in Arizona and in Tampa Bay, I would like to think that he's going to have um, the opportunity to snag a really, really big time candidate to help him run that ship there in Jacksonville. So exciting stuff coming down the docket, lots of breaking news. And I'll make sure that we kind of jump back into this each week so we can keep everybody filled in and kind of give you our take on and our spin on things and what we think about it. First of all, we're going to take a look back at the divisional round, and it's definitely one for the record books here. Uh, Pretty much every single game was decided in overtime or by a field goal that uh, basically went through with the time expiring and kept on the edge of your seat all weekend. It was two on Saturday, two on Sunday, and each just as exciting as the next. Uh, So we'll start the action off with the, the first Saturday game, which is going to be the Bengals and the Titans. So the Bengals, the road team, Titans, the home team, one seed coming off the bye. And the Bengals uh, eked out a real thriller here. They end up winning 19-16. to 16. And the first thing I want to lead off with that was the most impressive part of this entire win is Joe Burrow was sacked nine times in this football game. And normally when you're sacked nine times, you don't win football games at all. And, and this one, it, it was just so impressive that they ended up winning it. <clears throat> they kept the, essentially the turnovers down, and they, they win the turnover battle despite having nine sacks. Uh, they were plus two as the Titans uh, ended up throwing three interceptions. Joe Burrow only threw one. And they kept it in a knockdown, drag out, kind of grinded out kind of mode here. Joe Mixon ends up with 14 carries, 54 yards, and a touchdown. And then uh, Jamar Chase leads the way through receiving here, 109 yards, a back-to-back 100-yard game for the rookie. So really proven his worth on the field here. Uh, on the flip side of things, the Titans, uh, they got Derrick Henry back, but – I thought he would look like a shell of his former self. I know I know he was a little tougher to bring down. Didn't seem like quite as explosive, quite as effective. Uh, you got A.J. Brown doing A.J. Brown things, five catches, 142 yards. But what it boils down to here is Ryan Tannehill was not good enough to win a football game here. Uh, one touchdown, three interceptions, 220 yards. Uh, even with this ground game they had that they were able to lean on with Foreman and Henry, they just couldn't get anything generated through the air. So really uh, the Bengals kind of jumped out to an early one in this one. They had like a 10-point lead. And uh, they settled for a lot of field goals early. I believe it was three in a row with uh, Evan McPherson. Then they ended up punching one in with Joe Mixon. Uh, The Titans clawed their way back. They tied up 16-16 on the last drive. They go down, and uh, I believe McPherson nails a a 50-plus yarder for the win. And really, uh, they they were four-and-a-half-point dogs coming into this one. I actually picked them to win. I, I really believed in them. I think that they have a pretty dynamic offense. They're able to do things through the air and on the ground that not a lot of teams are. They have three weapons that are probably the best in the league between uh, Higgins, Chase, and Boyd. And the tight end, that's uh, he's versatile. He's, he's a pass catcher. He's a chain mover. He's a blocker. And I, I just really like what they can do. And they got a quarterback that isn't afraid of anything. He thinks he's the best in the league every time he steps on the field. And he, he feels like he's got a chip on his shoulder at every single level he's been at. 
So I, I, I'm not putting anything against Joe Burrow. They get a rematch with the Chiefs here that they ended up beating in week 17 to basically kind of steal the deal on the AFC North for them. So they're going to come into this one. They're not going to be afraid. They're the, the last team to beat the Chiefs. And uh, after watching the Chiefs last weekend, they're, they're, which we'll get to it later, but they're looking pretty invincible. So I, I think this will be a good test for them, a good matchup. And let's see if the, the Bengals can get to the promised land despite some of the woes that they've had recently. The night game on Saturday also was a big-time thriller, but a little bit of a, uh, a different type of matchup here. We got the 49ers at the Green Bay Packers. The Packers end up being the one seed. Niners are the sixth seed coming in and visiting, and the Packers coming off the first round by. And, and I'll preface it that I'm a huge Green Bay Packer fan. I grew up in Wisconsin here, and I've always been a Green Bay Packer fan. So th- this one was this one was a painful for one, one for me to watch as the Niners go on to win 13-10. to 10. But the Packers uh, come out on the opening drive, and they punch one in, an early score for uh, A.J. Dillon on the ground, and then they don't score another touchdown the rest of the game. Uh, they settled for a field goal uh, later on in the game. They end up uh, going up 10 nothing. Niners claw their way back. They get a, the field goal. Then they block a punt uh, in the fourth quarter that they return for a touchdown to tie it up 10-10. And then the Packers come back. They get a three and out, and they end up punting again and you just knew it. The momentum was completely shifted at that point. There's only about a minute and a half, two minutes left. And the, the Niners drive right down, running the ball right down their throat with uh, Eli Mitchell and mainly Debo Samuel kind of being the, the driving force there. And they get in field goal range. Robbie Gold nails, uh, I believe it was a, a mid forties, 46 yarder uh, for the win. And they lift the, the six seeded Niners over the one seeded Packers. And uh, this one, honestly, this this is one of the more painful games to watch if you were a Packers fan. They get they outgained them on the ground or in total yardage. Uh, I believe time of possession they they won as well too slightly. But going into the fourth quarter, they were dominating that stat. And really, the the only stat that was kind of shady coming into the beginning here was going to be their third down percentage. Uh, they're five for twelve. But regardless, even after these these third down conversions. When you're taking a look at this game, uh, the Packers dominated on the offense, or excuse me, on the defensive side of the ball. They scored enough points on offense. They were winning by ten points and halfway through the fourth quarter in a game where there was only about twenty three total points scored. Uh, most of them coming at the end of the fourth quarter there for the Niners. And the only thing side of the ball that really let them down and i i'd said this a few weeks back that it's this special teams is going to come back to haunt them and it was and the most embarrass, embarrassing thing i don't i think i've maybe ever witnessed on uh, a professional football field just watching the game and you have this miraculous play just before the end of the half where jones runs for about a 70 yard reception and he puts you in for a chip shot field goal like 35 yards and you have a blocked field goal. So you lose out on three points there. And then, as we mentioned earlier, uh, when you're winning by seven, you're punting the ball away. Routine punt from about, you know, your 10 to 15-yard line. It's not like you're backed up and you're, you're making the, the distance from the snapper to the punter shorter. It's routine. And they block a punt. So you have a blocked field goal and a blocked punt. That are ten, That's a 10-point swing right there for them. That's the only points that the Niners had scored prior to their game-winning field goal. So that's huge. That's huge. And then just to add insult to injury at the end here, you're getting the the 10 men on the field for the field goal at the end, which at that point, it's it's just laughable almost. Like it, 
when I mean the percentage of these things that get blocked is not very high. I mean, even considering there was one in this game, there's blocked, but it's it's not a very high percentage. So it's not like it's going to make a huge difference having that eleventh guy. But it just shows you like the incompetency by the, by the the special teams coordinator to to not have his guys organized to figure out who's got to get out there in case whether it was someone was injured or someone was you know gassed and they needed a break you you still got to be able to to know the depth chart to know to get out there i mean that's what you're literally paid to do so just at all levels for the special team is embarrassing and i'm not trying to you know protect aaron Rodgers here and say like he was perfect i mean his day he was 20 for 29 225 yards no touchdowns no interceptions so i mean it's not like he was lighting it on fire himself but the offense did enough to win this football game the defense did enough to win this football game except maybe on that last drive and they were absolutely phenomenal for about four 56 minutes of this football game 58 minutes of this football game they're absolutely phenomenal but the special teams just on a whole nother level let them down. And, you know, credit to the Niners. They don't score any points. And now Jimmy G, I put the stat out there. He's over 300 yards and zero touchdowns, two interceptions through two playoff games. He's 2-0. and So it, it, that's a true testament that this is a, a full football team. If he ever puts even a moderate game together, this is going to be a very, very scary team in the playoffs here. But their DBs held up a lot better. I think the weather helped them. But uh, they held up a lot better than I thought. It was basically, hey, we're going to let Devontae have 100 yards and nobody else is going to have any besides maybe Jones on a few outlet passes. And on the ground, uh, Debo Samuel and Elijah Mitchell uh, continued to be a pretty dynamic duo here. Uh, They didn't really combine for a a great average, but it was kind of, you know, death by a thousand cuts here. It's 53 yards from Elijah Mitchell, 39 from Debo. And then there was just a couple catches by Kittle. There's that one one-hander that he had ended up knocking to himself. And there's one on that, that drive at the end there that really saved the, the, the game-winning field goal. So it wasn't like they lit it on fire on offense. Debo just, the, the effort he put into some of these plays to make them happen, you know, most times he's wrapped up or he's getting a shoulder at, you know, one, two, three yards. But he's ended up you know, getting an extra four, five, six after contact just because this guy is an absolute bruiser and they're really creative with how they use them. So, I mean, I don't want to dog the Niners and say, like, they didn't deserve to win it because, you know, they did deserve to win it. They played better in uh, many facets of this game compared to the Green Bay Packers. So hats off to them. But uh, we'll get – I don't want to get too much into the Aaron Rodgers speculation, uh, but it it was just an extremely disappointing loss by the Green Bay Packers and one that – I didn't really see coming. I don't think any of anybody in Packers Nation saw it coming. And there's a lot of questions left to be said about this Green Bay Packers team moving forward. But nonetheless, we'll move on to the next game. I've I've said my piece, and I'm I blew up Twitter after it happened. So if you want to see more thoughts, just tune in there. But the next game on the docket here, it's going to be the Los Angeles Rams at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And in this one, I had taken the Rams. They were um, four point underdogs, I believe, in this one heading in or three and a half point no excuse me two and a half point underdogs that's what it was and they ended up getting the win outright uh 30 to 27 and really they jumped out to a big lead in this one it was 20 to 3 at halftime and then the Buccaneers lit the world on fire coming out from the half they ended up scoring 24 points but uh the the Rams did just enough they ended up winning on the game winning field as time expires but for a while there it looked like they were going to get routed the the Buccaneers that is uh Tom Blood 
quite the comeback based or based off of a couple turnovers from the the Rams. Uh, the Rams actually ended up all gaining them 428 yards through to 359. And when we take it the turnover battle, the Rams were four fumbles lost compared to minus two in the turnover battle for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. One fumble, one interception. So the Rams are that that minus two number, but somehow can kind of grit this one out. And I, I think that's that's impressive. They even won the time of possession by about nine minutes, having 34 minutes of time of possession compared to the 25 by the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But like I said in this one, this one was an extremely valiant effort by Tom, uh, Tom Brady. He really pushed it for a comeback here at the end. And I believe it was like a fourth and one from the eight on uh, Los Angeles. As you know, there's maybe about a minute left in the ball game. And he ends up scoring. They end up throwing the touchdown. They get in, they kick the field goal. They tie it up 27-27. Then they kick it back to the Rams, and the Rams drive down the field. And they get just enough in range where they can make the field goal. Uh, Matt Gay knocks it through for the Los Angeles Rams. So another great game. Uh, it was neck and neck. And same thing as I said with the Packers. There's a lot of questions to be said about what Tom Brady's future is going to be after this. Mainly because uh, there's a couple re- real quiet reports that came out prior to the game that this very well could be his last one. And then uh, he declined to answer any questions about his future, as m- most people do normally in these press conferences afterwards. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if he decided to call it quits. Like I said, I don't want to get too much into that. I wanted to focus more on the game. But I just think it was a, it was a sum of the parts for the Buccaneers that were missing. I mean, you lose Chris Godwin. You lose Antonio Brown. You lose Tristan Wirfs in this one. And Ryan Jensen was nicked up as well, too. There's, there's just a lot of pieces on that offense that help make it go. And when you're missing them or they're not playing at full capacity, it's it's a huge loss. But on the flip side of things, uh, Matt Matt Stafford was great in this football game. He was 28 for 38, 366, and two touchdowns. And their run game was almost non-existent. Cam Akers, 24 carries, 48 yards, two yards a pop. And I believe he had at least one of the fumbles, uh, if not maybe two, in this one, especially one that allowed the, the swing and momentum for him to come back. So it really costly in their in their run game and Stafford adds a that I miss he had six yards on the ground as a touchdown on a sneak but this Rams team I I thought that they looked tough and this defense plays extremely tough uh you got their front seven with Floyd and Donald and Von Miller looks completely rejuvenated they're extremely dangerous they they can put a lot of pressure on opposing offenses and I think you're going to get a their best shot when they come to have when the 49ers come to town. Uh, we'll we'll deal with that in our preview section in a later segment here. But really, I mean, they put th- three sacks on Tom Brady, and it was just constant pressure by this front seven. And in, even in the back half, they're still pretty solid here. I mean, you got Jalen Ramsey, who's arguably the best cover corner. Eric Weddle comes out of retirement, looks like a, a capable replacement safety for Jordan Fuller, who's out. And then on top of it, you got Darius Williams, I believe. He may have been hurt. I don't know if he's been playing. But uh, David Long with the pick six for the week prior ends up leading the team in tackles this week. So big-time, big-time uh, defense, I, I believe. You're, you're getting a lot of guys in that secondary, a lot of guys in this front seven that pair well together. And they're going to be very dangerous moving on to the rounds. And they're actually I, – I, I think they should be favored over the Niners in the coming week, even though the, the Niners won the last meeting. So hats off to the Rams. They get a big win over the Buccaneers, which leads us in to possibly the game of like the last century. Uh, 
it was an absolutely electric affair. It's going to be the Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs. Buffalo Bills, I believe, won the the three seed in the AFC going against the number two seeded Kansas City Chiefs. And in this one, it was just a heavyweight boxing battle where it's it's back and forth, back and forth, blow for blow, blow for blow, and like each guy is just fighting to keep pace with the other one. I believe at one point the the Buffalo Bills were down about nine. But they marched back uh, based on the arm and the legs of Josh Allen. And they end up losing just, or they end up scoring. They take the go-ahead score. And they're winning by, I believe it was, three points with about 13 seconds left in this one. And in my opinion, you'd think the game's over in that situation. You kick it to him, even if you touch it back, it's at the 25-yard line. Now, there is some debate whether they should have squibbed it or not. Uh, someone said that Tyreek Hill was back, but then someone said he wasn't back. Uh, the squib is the right move there. But you would think that they have to at least march, you know, 40 yards in 13 seconds with only one timeout. I mean, that that's – and then even at that, that's, that's still about a 50-yard field goal. That's not guaranteed in any situation. But nonetheless, they come out. They march down in 13 seconds, kick the field goal, force it to overtime – and then over time, they win the coin toss, they get the ball, they march down, throw the touchdown pass, Travis Kelsey, win it all, take it home, Josh Allen never sees the field. I know there's a lot of talk about the overtime rules aren't right, and I like to, I like the take that said, you know, you can't complain about these just when they lose. You know, it's just because, oh, so-and-so doesn't see the field. You should be mad that most of these teams that are winning the coin toss are outright winning the game for a majority of these. It's not just this one game in this one instance. So uh, someone smarter than me is going to come up with a better idea for the overtime because, like you said, it is a little bit broken. It, it sucked to see Josh Allen not get another shot at this, but his day was absolutely just bonkers. Josh Allen goes 27 for 37, 329 yards, four touchdowns. He had another 68 on the ground and six per carry there. And it was just every single big conversion they needed. It was, you know, third and two, second and three. Uh, third and one, you knew exactly what they were going to do. They were going to line up in shotgun. They were going to mo- motion a guy across, and they were going to run with a lead blocker, QB power play. And every single time it worked, this guy got exactly what he wanted. And I believe it was, was it Jeff Schwartz or somebody, Ross Tucker maybe online mentioned this, that what's what's crazy is they're asking him to run all these design run plays. And that takes so much out of you. You're taking a beating and you're so gassed and then you turn around after running for all this and working you know so hard to just move the ball and then on third and eight or third and three or third and six they call the play call and they said okay now make the best throw of your entire life here after running for your life for the last three plays and he's doing it like Gabriel Davis was the best game I've ever seen from a wide receiver possibly ever. Eight catches, 201 yards, and four touchdowns. They said that the four touchdowns is a record. It's something that Jerry Rice has never even done. So hats off to that guy. But, I mean, this was it was a game that you didn't want to end. And, like, I have I don't have a dog in this fight. I don't root for either of these teams. And I was on the edge of my seat just, like, screaming, like, no way this is even happening. Like, when he threw that dagger to Gabriel Davis after he sent Mike Hughes into the <laughs> – the front row of the stands on that juke but the other side of this is is the Chiefs and the Chiefs were just as good if not better because they won the football game as the Buffalo Bills here 
Uh, Patrick Mahomes, 378 yards, three touchdowns. And then he also adds 69 yards on the ground with a touchdown. So, I mean, like four touchdowns and over 430 yards of offense by one guy. I mean, that's impressive. I mean, they dominated on the ground in this one. I believe it was 170 yards as a team. 180 yards, which outpaced the Buffalo Bills by about 80 additional yards. They had nine more uh, minutes of time of possession here. And then there wasn't any turnovers in this game. So, I mean, you're seeing pretty much perfect games by each offense. It was just a matter of Cincinnati being able to maintain more and end up with the ball last and getting lucky, winning the coin toss, where you get to see it first in overtime. And everybody knew whoever won that coin toss was going to score the touchdown. So... Sometimes that's what it comes down to. It's just the luck of, luck of the draw. And in this one, the Chiefs were just a little bit luckier. And in all honesty, they, I would I would love to see this game again. Like if, if we could somehow, you know, reset this and move this two week, three weeks from now for the Super Bowl, I'd I'd sign on the dotted line right now. I'm I'm ready to go. So Regardless, uh, I, I don't think that this is like a hit to anybody's legacy here. And I know Chris Long mentions it on his podcast that it sucks that it wins are a QB stat because it's exactly games like this that really prove that point because Josh Allen was absolutely phenomenal in this, like 400 yards of offense and four or five touchdowns. And like he's getting the loss in this. So like just in my opinion, that doesn't seem right. And I think that we're really lucky that this is the quarterback play because I think someone said that they're 25 and 26 years old. So, I mean, we're going to get at least a decade of this as long as Josh Allen's body holds up with all that running he's doing. And as long as Patrick Mahomes, same thing for him. As long as his body holds up, we've seen him have some injuries in recent years. So it's really exciting. It's really big-time stuff for the NFL. They should be really happy with the product that they saw out in the field and really had all fans living on the edge of their seat. So hats off to the Kansas City Chiefs as they move ahead as Super Bowl favorites. And for the unlikely hero of the week, the Jameis Winston Award, as always, I'm going to mention it like I do every week. We're going to go somewhere different with this. And this one's going to be really different. I promise you. It's a, it's a position that I don't think has ever won the award uh, through the regular season or the playoffs. And it's it's not even a guy on a winning team, but it, it's just a performance that I know has to be mentioned because as I was watching it happen, I've, I, I can't say I've really seen anything like it on a stage that they were on. Like it was the biggest stage of the year. It was the game of the year, hands down, game of possibly the last couple decades. And he's just absolutely lighting it on fire and was not expecting it. Like this is a guy that was maybe the third or fourth target on his team. And it's going to Gabriel Davis, if you haven't noticed yet. Eight catches, 201 yards, 25 yards per catch, four touchdowns. And, like, I remember watching Gabriel Davis throughout the year, and he, he seemed like this deep threat guy, like this fourth option in the Bills offense that kind of just they would go to to take deep shots down the field. And in this one, he, he did it all, like, I could watch that play on repeat where he gives the outside fake on Mike Hughes and then comes back in and he does it with conviction. And Mike Hughes just gets sent into the next galaxy, basically, on the throw. And it's an absolute heat-seeking missile, just smokes him right in the hands, and he scores the touchdown for to go ahead. And it was it was it was a thing of beauty. And like I remember seeing it, I'm like, just there's, there's no way he's going to him again. And every time he's coming down with the ball. And like I said, the most impressive thing is he was like the third, 
maybe fourth option, maybe even fifth option some days in this offense. So that's why he's going to be the unlikely hero, in my opinion. I know it sucks that they didn't win, but he was the hero for pretty much the whole game here until 13 seconds left when Mahomes got that ball back. So that's why I'm staying with it. Uh, he's still a hero in my book. When, you, when you're when you beating numbers that Jerry Rice has never put up and you're like a third or fourth round receiver out of UCF, you know, sign me up. This is your award, man. Unlikely hero of the week, Gabriel Davis. So looking ahead, we got the conference championship coming up this week. We got the two games to see who this is going to be the representative from the AFC, going to be the representative from NFC. Both games are at Sunday, 2 and 5.30. And the first one that's on the docket here is going to be the Bengals and the Chiefs. And the Bengals, uh, if we remember correctly here, back in week 17, they end up getting the best of the Chiefs, 34 to 31. That was when they clinched the AFC North, and they kind of started this little mini run that they ended up going on. And you could say, oh, they, they lost in week 18. They, I mean, they were missing like half their starters. They rested them. So I'm not really counting that. But they got hot at the right time there. And they kind of carried over into the playoffs. But nonetheless, we get a rematch here. And it was that was one of the better games of the regular season. And who knew that it was going to end up being our AFC championship game? Like a little mini preview of it as well. So in this one, uh, the first time around, the Bengals really were able to throw the ball and do whatever they wanted to do. Uh, Joe Burrow ends up with 446 yards and four touchdowns. And that's that was the Jamar Chase game, the 266 and three TDs. And I think that, I mean, if they want to win this football game, they got to be able to score points in bunches after watching that Buffalo game. Uh, this Kansas City defense is really exposed. I, I think you're going to see a lot of these quick-breaking routes. You're going to see a, a lot of the screen game to try to open things up early just to kind of keep keep the dogs off of Burrow because you can't take nine sacks again and win a football game. So I'd like to see the Bengals try to do some of that stuff. And I mentioned it last week too that when they get in the red zone, they got to start trying to force feed some of these touches to mix in a little bit better. Even if you're, you know, you're no 15, 20 yards out, you got to keep trying to hand the ball off, throwing him some, some of these swing passes, get him in space. He's your, in my opinion, he's your most dynamic threat in that part of the field. We all know what Jamar Chase can do at the point of attack after the catch when you get him between about the 20s. And, I mean, a lot of his touchdowns are coming on 30, 40-yard bombs, 60-yard bombs. So when you get inside the 20s, though, that's what I think that's Joe Mixon territory. we got to get him in space. we got to get him working. And I think that's kind of their ticket. And I, when we're looking at the Bengals as well, too, I think their defense is, a, is built a little bit more for the playoffs, a little bit better than the Kansas City Chiefs is. Uh, when we take a look at their front seven, Trey, Hendri- Trey Hendrickson's been really good. He's been a huge signing for them. DJ Reader, another great uh, guy up front in the interior. And then even Sam Hubbard's looked pretty decent at times as well, too. Uh, Logan Wilson at the second level, I, I nominate him for a Pro Bowl nod. I know he was he's pretty solid all season. And in this secondary, Chidobe Awuzie, Mike Hilton, and then uh, the all-pro candidate, um, perennial pro, pro bowler kind of guy uh, jesse bates on the back end just there's a lot of guys that i like on this defense that are playing really really well for the Bengals at this time so i think that they match up a little bit better on defense than the kansas city chiefs do uh looking at the other side of the things that kansas city chiefs just need to do what they do on offense they've been carving up the league's best defenses for years 
And Travis Kelsey is a mismatched nightmare. We've seen that uh, linebackers can't run with him. Matt Milano's got his jersey turned back, and they're throwing back shoulder fades at this guy on wheel routes. Uh, Tyreek Hill, another huge mismatch. I've never seen a guy like him in space move, and it just his his feet are so quick and he's so fast. Uh, you you see on that that drag route last week where you think you got the angle on him and you don't. He's burning you for the end zone, and I think on the ground they're not quite as good as the Bengals. I really like Joe Mixon. I'm a huge Joe Mixon fan and what he can do in the run pass game. But when we look at the Kansas City Chiefs running game, you got Jarek McKinnon and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Edwards-Alaire has never really lived up to his first-round hype. I mean, he's a decent running back when he's healthy, but I, I don't think I'm not putting him in like that top, you know, ten, twelve, top fifteen tier just yet. I don't. I haven't seen enough from him. Uh, Jarek McKinnon honestly has looked a lot better than him in the playoffs. Here, he's looked much better in space which is kind of what this this Kansas City offense is all about. They're going to blow the top off yet. It's going to open some stuff up underneath. Uh, so when you're sending all these these deep threats, these big mismatches down the field, who's going to be open underneath this Jarek McKinnon guy? So I, I like him, but I just don't like him as much as I like Joe, Joe Mixon. And really this this offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs is also head and shoulders above what the, the, the Bengals got. So that's a, that's a – a win that I mean the offense for the Kansas City Chiefs is going to get the nod here on the defensive side of things though uh, Tyron Matthew missed last week he's a huge chess piece on this defense he's able to do a lot of different things as a blitzer as a coverage guy and really when they're missing him they're a different kind of defense uh, Chris Jones we all know what he's about he's an absolutely phenomenal ta- uh, talent inside or outside as a defensive lineman uh, Flint, excuse me, Frank Clark has his moments, and uh, he's shown that he's got the higher ability to rush the passer, but it comes in spurts. And really, none of these corners have played very well the last few weeks here. I mean, we've seen what Josh Allen just torched him up and ended up doing. Mike Hughes falling down, uh, Traverius Ward, Legereus Sneed, both guys that had a little bit of promise coming into the year, and I, I just haven't seen much from them the last few weeks to make me believe that they're they're a notch above what we're seeing from the Bengals. So I give the Bengals, like I mentioned, the slight nod on defense here. I give the Kansas City Chiefs a slight nod on offense. But I think that this is going to be a knockdown drag I'll fight. This is going to be a really good one. It's going to be must-see TV. If you like points, you're going to love this game. I called the over, even if it was at 60 with the the, the Bills and the Chiefs. And I was right there. I mean, they ended up going over 70. So, you know, point one plus plus one for us here. But on the other side of things, actually not the other side of things, but this week, I would say the same thing. Like, these Bengals, this Bengals team is not afraid to take shots. And I think they kind of found something getting mixed in, in the pay dirt last week. So I'm taking the over again. They put up 34 points last time. They could do it again. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the Chiefs put up 40 points again this week. Moving on to the next game here, we get the Los Angeles Rams, excuse me, and the San Francisco 49ers. It's a rematch of the NFC West. Uh, it was the Week 18 play-in game for the these teams here. And the San Francisco 49ers, if we remember correctly, ended up getting the best of the Rams in Week 18. And I can't exactly remember the score, so I'm going to pull it up here quick, so just bear with me. But they ended up winning 27-24 to in overtime. And really, I mean, this 49ers team has been playing playoffs games 
playoff games since pretty much like week 16, 17, just to get in. I mean, they, they had to win to get in in week 18, and they ended up doing it. And it was a little did we know once again, another uh, NFC championship preview or conference championship preview game. In this one, when I t- when I we're taking a look at each side of the ball for these teams, uh, I'm giving the nod to the Los Angeles Rams on offense. When I look at the Niners, I really like Debo. I really like Kittle. Elijah Mitchell showed a lot of promise as a rookie. But when I look at the Rams, yes, their run game isn't quite as good because they're a little bit more multiple what they can do with Mitchell and Debo. But their passing game, I feel like, is just so much head and shoulders above of what the Niners are doing right now. Uh, Stafford's throwing for like 300 yards every single playoff game and a couple touchdowns. And Jimmy G has 300 yards through two games, two picks. That's not even like starter level at any at any level. I mean, if you're telling me this, I'm I'm asking you when Trey Lance is playing normally, but this guy's getting heralded as this this game managing QB that's doing enough to win, which I guess in reality he really is. But I'm not. Don't even think for a second I'm taking Jimmy G over Matt Stafford, and the way that he's been playing lately. So that's why I'm giving the nod to the Rams on offense over the the Forty Niners. When we're taking a look at the defensive side of the ball, though, this is where things are going to get interesting. I think that the Rams have more talent and more potential in what they can do on defense. Like I mentioned in the earlier segment, they got Donald, they got Floyd. They got Von Miller. They got, in the secondary, Jalen Ramsey. They got Darius Williams. They got this David Long. Like, I think that they have a their ceiling is much higher than what the Niners can do. But where the Niners are winning me over in this one is what they're doing in their front seven. Nick Bosa was living in Aaron Rodgers' backfield last week. Uh, credit to... Uh, Nick Bosa, he had a matchup and Dennis Kelly that he owned all night, just constantly, just like chopping the arms, bending the corner, and right in his face. Every play, every play had to be out just on time. And when he wasn't getting there, he's forcing double or drawing double teams to where you're getting guys like Eric Armstead better rushes as well too. So that's why I like what they could do in their front seven. And even this uh, Dre Green, Dre Green laws look really good. Uh, we all know what Fred Warner is about. He's top two linebacker in the league. He can run with tight ends. He can play the run. He can play the pass. And I just like what their front seven looks like. I just think that they're so, so, so deadly in the front seven that it makes everybody else look better. Uh, these corners are not very good. Uh, Emmanuel Mosley. And then I believe it was Ty Johnson on the other side. Uh, I didn't even know Ty Johnson possibly before this year, and he, they said he was an eight or nine year vet. So that 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 is a testament there. I know Jimmy Ward really does have his moments as well too. He gets burned on the Aaron Jones play, makes up for it on special teams, but this front seven is what makes this defense, and really they they rival what the Rams are capable of. But I just seen way more of it from the Niners on the road in a very hostile environment in Lambeau Field last week. So I'm going to give the very, very slight nod to the Niners, but there's a lot of potential for this Rams team to look even better. So based off of that, I'm going with Chiefs in the Super Bowl playing the Rams. I think this Rams team is due. I think uh, Cam Akers has looked really good. He's also looked really bad. Uh, 
Sony Michelle's a more than capable backup in the running game, but what they're able to do throwing the ball down the field with Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham and Tyler Higby, Van Jefferson is much more dynamic than what the Niners can do on their side of the ball. I know Debo is this absolute weapon that we've never seen before like this, but he's one man in he had to have like broken some ribs on some of them shots he was taking last week. So who knows how healthy he's going to be heading into this one. I guarantee he's playing. He's an absolute dog competitor. But he's one man going against one of the better defenses in the league in the Rams. So they're going to find ways to limit him. But the Rams offense is the key piece on why I think they're going to advance to the Super Bowl. So I believe that we're going to be talking about next week a Chiefs-Rams Super Bowl after a, a wild and crazy high-scoring affairs here this next Sunday. So make sure that uh, you stay tuned. Uh, make sure you're getting in on these picks. We're 6-2 and two in the playoffs with picking outright winners. And honestly, uh, if you're following along with us at all on, on Twitter, putting in some of these uh, these bets that we're, we're making or that we're calling out, we're 6-0. We're uh, excuse me, six and zero on our last six bets. So we're undefeated and we're getting really hot here. And the main reason I know I'm six and zero is uh, based on the new app I've been using. It's going to be BB fifty five ratings. That's going to be Best Bet fifty five Institute. Basically, it's an app that keeps track of your gambling picks, uh, your sports gambling picks, and spits out a record. And honestly, it it actually ranks you based on your sports or just overall record. So. If you think you're really great at picking sports gambling bets, you want to track, you want to know how great you are, make sure you download the app. It'll keep track of it for you. And uh, once you get great, once you get to be a pro, once you get hot at this stuff, it starts keeping track of your records and people can buy your picks. So basically, you have a chance to earn money on this. So why not? It's free. Download the app. Get on there. Make sure you're making your picks and start making money for yourself right now. Uh, just wanted to mention it's not sports gambling. You're not gambling on games. You're just making your picks, guys. So make sure you get out there. Best Bet 55 Institute, BB 55 Ratings also found. It's made for Apple, or excuse me, uh, iPhones, Apple phones only. So make sure you get out there. Make sure you're following Pound the Table 1. That's who we are down there. Make sure you're getting our NFL picks. So piggybacking off of what we did last week for our top five lists here from the 2021 season, uh, we're running right in with uh, the wide receivers this week. And the number five wide receiver, in our opinion, that is, it's subjective. It's what we're thinking here by our standards. And the top five wide receivers, starting with number five, it's going to be Tyreek Hill from the Kansas City Chiefs. And Tyreek Hill ended up with 1,239 yards on 111 receptions. That's good for 11.2 yards per reception. And uh, the nine TDs also plays a big factor in this as well, too. And then on the ground, he also uh, attributed 96 yards rushing. So that's, it's a pretty solid year for uh, but not exactly what he's up to par normally. Uh, he's really had some dynamic seasons as of late. Uh, he had 1,200 last year, but had 15 touchdowns to put with it. And then 1,479 in 2018 with 12 touchdowns. So normally you see that, that touchdown number a little bit higher. Uh, but this year it dipped a little bit. I know they kind of got off to a slow start, but he really came on, on on the season as of late. And the number one factor for me to make sure I got him on this list over some other guys like Stephon Diggs uh, and some other guys as well. I don't want to give him away so we don't give away who's in our top four. 
but was his ability after the catch and how many times they throw him the ball on like these wide receiver screens and he's so shifty that guys can't even seem to put a hand on him or like as we talked about in the earlier segment a lot of these guys think they have an angle on him to make a play and like push him out of bounds and get him down to the ground and that's just not the case he he breaks free and he he really gets after it so he is a absolute game changer in my opinion. He he can stretch the field as a deep threat. He can take the like I said the screen pass and go for six. He can work the intermediate stuff, the shallow crossers, and turn it into something big. So I just think he's an all around threat. And while the numbers they're good, they're not the best he's ever had. It's still good enough for number five this year in my opinion. So our number five wide receiver Tyreek Hill, jumping right over into the number four wide receiver from this season. And this one might seem a little bit low for this guy, but I'm going to stick to it here. And I'm going to say the number four wide receiver from 2021 is going to be Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson ended up with uh, 1,616 yards receiving, 10 touchdowns on 108 catches. That's good for 15 yards per reception, which is a monster number. And which is uh, giving him the nod over Tyreek Hill. Basically had more yardage, uh, averaging more per catch, and even had more touchdowns too. But last year, a lot of people thought that the that Justin Jefferson season might have been a little bit fluky, uh, that he might not actually be quite as good as you know his rookie season showed. Maybe it was just flash in the pan here, 1,400 yards and seven TDs in 2020. Maybe, the, maybe it wasn't what we thought it was going to be. And uh, he comes back this year and proves that he is one of the top guys in the league at separating, whether it's from the slot or out wide. I know he does a lot of his damage from the slot. And he, he does benefit a little bit playing opposite Adam Thielen, and having a ground game with like Dalvin Cook there. And Kirk Cousins is by no means uh, the the world's best quarterback. But, I mean, we're seeing a guy that is capable of distributing the ball to these guys. So I'm going to give it to Justin Jefferson here. I know, his support, like I said, supporting cast helps him a little bit. But to go over 1,500 yards, get 10 TDs back-to-back years, or excuse me, 1,400 last year, over 1,500 this year. But really to post these numbers in back-to-back years, it's it's quite impressive. It shows you just how good this guy is going to be and that his ceiling, he's just, he's right there. He's scratching the surface of it, and it's even higher yet. It's, it's hard to believe he can get much better than this, but I think the ability's there. So Justin Jefferson, the number four wide receiver from 2021. Rolling right into our third receiver, and this one's going to be a little bit of a stretch here, but I really, I'm, I'm really impressed with what he did in multiple uh, facets of the game here. It's going to be Debo Samuel, the wide receiver slash running back for the uh, San Francisco 49ers. And Debo is a very unique specimen when it comes to NFL football. Uh, 1,405 yards receiving, six TDs this year, to combine with 365 yards rushing and eight TDs. That's 14 total touchdowns and over 1,700 yards total. And really, I think he does most of his damage on the ground. You, th- you think about it, he's got 59 carries. That's about 6.2 yards per carry, eight touchdowns. So he's every time he's touching the ball, uh, on running the ball, he's averaging six yards a carry, which would be one of the best in the league. And every time he's catching the ball, it's 18 yards a catch. So that's a really dynamic threat that you're able to stretch the field and affect the game in so many different ways. And last week in the playoffs was a perfect, perfect, uh, showcase of this how they're able to get him on these these jet sweep counters where he goes in motion they hand it to him and he gets a couple lead blockers up the hole and he's so difficult to take down uh, I, i'd be 
I don't have his yak number in front of me right here, but I'd be willing to bet he's one of the league leaders. This guy is like almost impossible. He runs like a like a halfback fullback where he's just lowering his shoulder, taking dudes out. And he's, he sees the field so great. I know in uh, some crunch times situations, they even put him back at kick returner and to really kind of exploit the special team stuff too. So Debo Samuel, a really unique talent. He's really kind of lit the world on fire here in the league in his, in his um, third year. And once he's when he's healthy, this is the stuff that we can expect from him week in and week out. So number three wide receiver from the 2021 season, Debo Samuel which is going to take us right into our number two wide receiver this year. And this is one of my guys, so it was hard to keep him off the number one spot. But once we get to number one, you'll see why. Uh, I went with Devontae Adams this year. Devontae Adams is an absolute killer when it comes to route running and catching the ball as a receiver here in the NFL. He ended up with 1,553 yards on 123 receptions. That's good for 12.6 per. Ended up with 11 TDs as well, too. And really, he is one of the ultimate X factors. There's there's very few guys in the league nowadays that you can don't have to worry about scheming them open. Uh, you can put them out, out on the perimeter and they try to double them up and you're still going to find ways to get him the ball just because of how good he is at getting open and using his hands to catch the ball. I know early in his career, that was one of the reasons why I wasn't a huge fan of his is there's so many drops, but uh, even going back to last week, like I was just talking about, he had a he had a real deep crosser where they throw it to him, and it's a little underthrown by Rodgers, and he just barely scoops it up and just completely maintains control, flipping it over the top of his body as he's going with it. So it's just really impressive what he's able to do. And like I said, his route running is on another level. There's Nobody can even put hands on him on the line of scrimmage, and people are afraid to challenge him there just because he's so crafty with his feet and his stems to to beat these guys. So he's what he's doing is there's nobody else in the league at this point really that really rivals him in that at that game, and really the only reason he's not number one on this list is there's a guy with much more production than him. So Devonte Adams, our number two wide receiver from 2021, and that's going to take us right into our number one spot. And this is probably no surprise after you heard Adams going number two, but it's going to be Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup had one of the most prolific uh, receiving seasons that we've ever seen. He ended up with the triple crown, which is he led the league in receptions, yardage, and TDs. He had 145 yards or 145 receptions on 1,947 yards and 16 TDs. That's good for 13.4 per catch. And really, the only receiving season that's been better than this one would uh would have been Calvin Johnson's when he broke the receiving yardage record. So he came very very close. I think he was within. Uh, you know, 10 to 20 yards of it. So hats off to him. And really when we're taking a look at it here, he is having, or he had the best season we've ever seen possibly by a wide receiver. And he he's the only reason I couldn't go Adams number one. I think Adams is like more talented than Cooper Cup is, but there comes a point where production beats out talent. I mean, this everybody's heard the interview by now about him breaking down coverages and really to dissect the defense like a quarterback from the slot or from the split here and really that comes to his advantage it really is able they don't even have to scheme him open because he can see it like the coach sees it and they can they can run some of these audibles on the fly with him and Stafford but really I I've been astounded at the leap he's made uh turning from, you know, a really solid number two, maybe number one option some days to really being the guy uh, maybe in the league here. So 
Cooper Cup really bursting onto the scene this year and establishing himself as a top five wide receiver. And in this case, he's our number one guy. So that's going to be it for our wide receiver list. We're going to jump right on over into tight ends as well. And right off the list here, we're going to go into our number five tight end. And that number five tight end from 2021 is going to be Dallas Goddard. He ended up the season with 56 catches, 830 yards, and four touchdowns. Uh, th there's a couple different options or different directions we could have went with the number five guy on the list. And there's there's going to be a couple of decent receivers here or tight ends that don't make the list. But I just kind of thought he was the complete player, uh, the way he's able to attack the middle of the field and what he's able to do after the catch sometimes here and also as a blocker in their passing attack and running a game. It, it it just was a difference maker for me. I believe he might have been the, the Philadelphia Eagles leading receiver. And when you look at it, there wasn't a lot of help there. I mean, you get rookie Devontae uh, Smith. And after that, who Jalen Rager, uh, Quez Watkins. I mean, these aren't huge household names. And he kind of established them as the go-to for Jalen Hurts all year. So the, Dallas Goddard comes in at number five just for his account of being a complete playmaking tight end between blocking and receiving so Dallas Goddard number five leading right into our number four tight end from this season and this one kind of shocked me when I was taking a look at the stats because he didn't even cross my mind to be a top five guy but the numbers don't lie he he was a difference maker in their offense and it's going to be Dalton Schultz for the Dallas Cowboys he ends up with 78 catches on eight for 808 yards and eight touchdowns so he gives him a little bit of an edge there over Goddard but Dallas Schultz He's kind of the forgotten guy over there in Dallas. And when you when you talk about Dallas receivers, you think of C.D. Lamb, you think of Amari Cooper, you think of Michael Gallup. I mean, you might even think of Cedric Wilson before you think of uh, Dalton Schultz. And even at that, he I don't even think he won the job until halfway through the year last year when Blake Jarwin got hurt and missed a bunch of time. So Dalton Schultz kind of exploded onto the scene here and really shown he's a reliable red zone target, reliable chain-moving target here as well. And he's another one of them guys that can he can line up in line and be more of a complete tight end where he's able to block as well too, even though they they didn't use the utilize the run game as much as they should have this year. But Dalton Schultz coming in at number four, big surprise for me for our list here. And that's going to take us right into the number three tight end. And the number three tight end is going to be George Kittle. Um, usually, I'm I'm a huge George Kittle fan. I think he's one number one, maybe number two in the league at tight end, just because of his ability as a pass catcher. We all know about that. You see the stats year in and year out. But his ability as a blocker is is a game changer. He's able to like line up against defensive linemen and take them one on one and really be an plus asset in the run game for them. It's almost like they get like a sixth offensive lineman there a lot of times. But on this season, he ends up with 71 catches, 910 yards, and six touchdowns. And he, he did all that, and he missed three games on top of it as well. So you could have seen this yardage number go up significantly to compete with some of the other guys on this list that we're going to see. But George Kittle, year in and year out, proven that he is well-deserving of top three tight end money just because even when he's out, they can feel it. You can feel it in the run game. You can feel it in the pass game. And it, it's really a hindrance, and he's a key part of what San Francisco likes to do on offense. So George Kittle, our number three tight end for 2021. And then that's going to take us into our number two tight end for the 2021 season. And I'm, I'm probably going to catch a lot of flack for this one just because of not making him number one on this list. But it's going to be Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is the tight end for the Baltimore Ravens, and he just barely edged out 
and was the number one tight end in a lot of receiving categories here this season. So that's why I'm probably going to catch flag for this, but I'll explain it when we get to number one. But Mark Andrews ends up the season with 107 catches, 1,361 yards, and nine TDs, and really showed that he was Lamar Jackson's favorite target this year. Uh, I believe him and Hollywood Brown both, or if not, got close to going over 1,000 yards for both of them. And it was by far that he was the favorite. I, Being a huge Packer fan I am, I got to watch their game when they were playing Green Bay. And even when Lamar was out and they had Tyler Huntley, they, they found ways to get him the football. And they knew he was a mismatch. He's really able to attack the middle of the field. And he was carving up the Packers' safeties all day. Darnell Savage uh, single-handedly had his probably worst game of the entire year against Baltimore just because of Mark Andrews. And Mark Andrews, a big, huge target. Uh, he, he's also an asset in the run game as well, too. He's able to line up in line and kind of mix up some of the stuff that they try to do in the box for Lamar and their their numerous running backs they went through this year. But he was the he was the steady, constant piece on that offense. He's the lone threat in the passing attack that really made them relevant. So I had to make sure I got him on the list here. And I know Twitter roasted me last time I made a list like this. And I actually kind of prompted all that we're doing here. So I had to make sure we got him and gave him the respect that he's due because he had an absolute phenomenal season. And I'd ex- I would expect it to continue as long as they keep Lamar Jackson under center. So Mark Andrews, our number two tight end for 2021. And that's going to take us right into our number one tight end from the season. And like I said, this is going to be a little controversial controversial here, but I'm going Travis Kelsey's the number one tight end for 2021. Uh, he ended up with 92 catches, 1,125 yards, and nine TDs. So, and he added also an, an additional touchdown on the ground. So that one touchdown isn't enough really in my mind statistically to edge him over Mark Andrews. So let me my, defend my reasoning here for making him the number one tight end. Uh, when you take a look at what he's able to do in that offense with how many different mouths there are to feed, when you think about Andrews, who who's he really competing for targets against? Sammy uh, Sammy Watkins? Uh, are we talking Marquise Brown? Are we talking Rashad Bateman? These these guys are not the same caliber of receiver as some of these tight end guys are. But when you look at Travis Kelsey, he's got to compete with Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is one of the best wide receivers in the league. He just made our top five wide receivers league. So you have two top five guys that are going to demand a huge target share, and they're able to still get these crazy numbers out of Travis Kelsey. And you can see when they're really rolling, and it was evident in the divisional game this last week, when he's really rolling, he's he's unstoppable. Like He was attacking the middle of the field. He's getting yards after the catch. He's calling his own routes out there and making it happen. He He's so phenomenal with his hands, and he's, he's just a huge body mismatch that they're able to put on the perimeter and kind of do some gadget stuff with. And I just think he he's the biggest game changer we've seen at tight end the last couple of years here. And him and Mahomes have absolutely phenomenal chemistry that really boosts, boosts them numbers and really boosts his effect on the game. So I'm hands down going to say Travis Kelsey's the number one tight end just based on the mismatches he creates and what he does to the game and how they have to play him with corners instead of safeties or linebackers that they put on him. And if you're going to put a safety or linebacker on him, he's going to make you hurt. So that's going to round out our top five there as well. So one more time through number five for the wide receivers, Tyree Kill. Number four for the wide receivers, Justin Jefferson. Number three is going to be Debo Samuel. Number two, Devontae Adams. Number one, Cooper Cup. And then for the tight ends, number five is going to be Dallas Goddard. Number four is going to be Dalton Schultz. Number three is going to be 
excuse me, George Kittle. Number two is going to be Mark Andrews. Number one, Travis Kelsey. So make sure you tune back in next week. Uh, we're going to try to do all the trenches in one episode here. Uh, just because as the season keeps progressing here, we're losing teams to talk about for game previews and uh, uh, reviews. So I'll make sure that we try to hammer through uh, offensive tackles, interior offensive linemen, and then interior defensive linemen and edges all in pretty much one segment next week. So make sure you tune in to catch that. That's going to be it for this week's show. Once again, uh, as always, we really appreciate every single person uh, downloading, listening to this. Uh, Make sure you guys hit subscribe so you get the episode when it comes out next week. Like I said, we're going to try to keep on that schedule of uh, Wednesday, Thursday. It gives us a little time at the beginning of the week, and then we can catch uh, some of the stuff before we get into the the next week's matchups. As always, we're going to make sure we hit on the, the games in the previous week, make our predictions for the week after. And then also, uh, we're going to keep doing the top fives. I'm going to try to really hammer out the the trenches, uh, interior offensive linemen, offensive tackles, de- interior defensive linemen, edges. We're going to try to get that all in one since it's we're only going to be reviewing about three games in total. So just a reminder again, uh, make sure you hit subscribe, and we'll see everybody next week.